Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. As societies evolve and social norms change, over the last 150 years, we've seen a shift in the romanticism and over-celebration of the fucking cool guy. You know who I'm talking about. The guy who shows up real fucking loud to the party, wearing some ridiculous jacket or shirt, toting a bottle of warm, clear liquor that he and his girlfriend have been slowly pulling on all night. And yeah, a 50-50 chance of a bag of cocaine in his pocket. Yeah, that guy. That guy usually hits his peak between the ages of 18 and 20 years old, and odds are, if he keeps it up, he'll either wind up dead or in jail, or he can do like most do, and come to the conclusion that you aren't as cool as you think you are, sink back into normality, just like Homer Simpson into the bushes. Take that template and apply it to a musician. We've seen it oh so many times. Bands have a huge hit. They may have some quirky look or get-up that makes them unique. Everyone thinks it's cool. Old people think it sucks. It makes the news in one way or another one time, and then after the hits stop coming, everyone looks back and agrees how stupid it was in hindsight. The musicians that can have a gimmick and pump out more than one hit will last a little longer in the memory bank of society. The perfect example is the band Limp Bizkit and the subject of today's show, Fred Durst. Durst and his band made a crazy run in the late 90s and early 2000s. They were the biggest name in music for a couple years, and Durst seemed to have the world in his palm. They were all over TV, at the biggest music festivals, celebrity parties, and of course, playing Times Square for New Year's Eve. But once the sheen wore off, many seemed to move to that latter stage of the cool guy life cycle, the part where they look back and question their taste. Durst seemed to press hard to stay in the spotlight, and it definitely wasn't all positive press. He did his damnedest to piss off legions of fans from other bands, overdo it when he was on camera, and over time, wind up in jail a few times. But is it fair that Fred has gotten such a bad rap over time? Is the Fred Durst we all know the real version of the person Fred Durst? We're going to dive into the Red Hat rapper's life and times. So throw on your baggy jeans, turn that hat around, pick up a pack of White Owls on your way home for the Fred Durst episode of Asshole Court. All right, we want to give a massive shout-out for this episode recommendation. This show suggesting came to us from our boy Shawnee and his boys over in Dublin, Ireland. Sean sent us a voicemail to say what's up and that he and the lads love listening to the show while they're at work. They wanted to hear a show about Fred Durst, and, well, here we are. I'm in work at the minute with the lads, and uh, one of the guys that I'm with, he was just saying, all oh, the three of them would definitely have a fucking feel day with Fred Durst. But hey, you know, keep up the good work. We're big fans. I don't think, or I don't know if, if you've actually realised that you're, um, 
you're being listened to quite a lot over here in Dublin. Um, it's just a funny ass tongue in cheek kind of show. Um, just great quality fucking humour. So uh, yeah, keep it up. Um, you've got a little mini fan base here in Ireland. So uh, yeah, keep on rocking. Shawnee and the lads, we fucking love you guys and appreciate the hell out of your support. That's right. Yeah, when we got that message, uh, it was just awesome. It, it really, it, it meant something to the three of us, and we really appreciate all you guys. And so you kind of see how you connect into people's lives. Like you can just imagine dudes on a work site, and one of them found a podcast they like. They start playing it. Everybody kind of you know enjoys it as well. Becomes like a thing at their job site, you know. And I want to go ahead and preemptively apologize for my horrible Irish accent that I occasionally whip out of the toolbox there, Shawnee and friends. I know it's shite. <laughs> That's right. All of our invitations uh, have, you know, a They're little... They're fucking horrible. Yeah. <laughs> There's some that are to be desired. That's all right. They keep us entertained, though. That's right. So. All right. All right, boys. Let's get some pre-show asshole scores for Fred Durst. Buddy, what you got? All right. So for me... I remember, um, you know, like, you know, growing up, my dad was in the music industry, but for some reason we didn't get a copy of this uh, CD. I guess maybe the label that he was on wasn't partnered up with my dad's music people, but I remember you had a copy of this, Randy. I sure did. Um, it's a tape. It was a tape. It was a fucking tape. Yeah, it was there a fucking you go. tape. And it was a $3 bill album, and it was before the Faith, like, when the they faith, did the yeah. Faith one hit the radio. Nobody knew who these guys were. We did. We yeah. were hipsters That's for right. the least hip band That's right. of all time. <laughs> well, I mean, that was like perfect timing for us. I mean, that was our, our, our high school years, our like sophomore, junior, senior yeah. years. Yeah, it was like 97. Yeah. Early 97. Early 97. We, we were big fans got... of Corn. Yep. Yeah. And somebody was like, hey, these guys hang out with Corn. You should check it out. Those two bands are tightly connected. And I got a story later on that'll kind of actually dive into the little okay. bit. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Nice, but and that makes sense because we were huge corn fans. Yep. And um, but no, I, I remember the uh their second album, um, the one that had Nookie on it yep. and all that. I remember specifically Randy had that album. I didn't. He had it on CD, and I went back and listened to it. Step my game up. Got the That's CD. It. Yeah, that yeah. was yeah that was CD on that one. And I remember like I went back and listened to it before the show, and what I realized was that like. The first like four or five songs are awesome mm -hmm. on that. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much the distance any of us would ever travel in the town that we lived. <laughs> right. It was about 15 minutes. All right. So we yeah. pretty much just listened to the first five songs. And now I understand why, because that the rest of that album is just trash. The back half uh, was a little rough. It yeah. is trash. And I was like, you know what? But I'm also going to give them another shot. I saw that they put out another album in 2021. And I went and listened to that. That album's just yeah. trash. Uh, it's all trash, you know. Yeah. But um, but those like five or six songs on there that we listened to religiously were awesome. Hell yeah. They kind of define our teenage years in a sense, like musically, like all around. Like you can just feel like the overlapping bubbles or uh, Venn diagrams, mm -hmm. you know, of different bands that we listened to. And yeah, they different were, genres. Yeah, exactly. And so um, I remember looking back fondly on those times, but I don't really, I, I remember hearing there was some like stuff about him. I don't really remember anything within like w in detail what he did. Maybe there was some hooking up with Britney Spears or something, but no. So I, I was excited when we got the recommendation to do this show and I'm excited to see what we uh, uncover here in the courtroom today, boys. Absolutely. But uh, pre-show, um, he is a little douchey, um, you know, and is that the Fred Durst persona or is that him? Right. Overall, we'll uh, we'll find out. But for me, I'm going to go 5.5 .5 pre-show. Okay. 
and we'll see where he lands at right the end of the Courtney Love. All right, five point five for Buddy. Mikey, what do you got? Yeah, uh, I agree with all of that stuff that uh, Buddy was just talking about. It was they hit the lottery uh, with their music because it was like the right place, the right time, the right atmosphere, and it can only exist in that time. <laughs> to yeah, be right? perfectly honest, <laughs> it's sort of like the soundtrack for Scarface, where at the time it came out, it was probably like this shit is banging. But then when you watch Scarface again, you're like, this can only exist in 1982. <laughs> and that's what it feels like. We were, before we started recording, Buddy started playing a couple of the tracks. Randy's playing a couple of tracks. And uh, it was sort of interesting in a, like going to a museum and seeing something like that. But And I didn't even play some of the other tracks on there. And you can tell these guys were just really biting on a lot of the other artists at the time. Totally. There's a lot of corn influence on yep. theirs. There's yep. a lot of Alice in Chains yep. influence. Uh, you can feel them biting off of oh, yeah. just a lot of the different people from that time. Yeah, I said it was a product of all that stuff sort of a, like accumulated and it came out at the perfect time for them. And also by the time that they had their like second, third album, they were uh, hanging out with like Method Man and shit, which I'm a huge Wu-Tang fan. So, of course, I was going to sign off on that. I do. I will recognize that they became the laughing stock and, and just ultimately reviled in a way that you I've seen happen to other bands. But generally, there's usually some sort of like reconsideration down the line that never occurred it's, for Limp Biscuit. They true. just remained yeah. hated. Yes. Um, and I don't think that's fair. And especially when people talk about like, oh, I fucking hate him. I was like, that album was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. Every CD book that existed in the 90s had that a copy bad. of that. So um, this isn't about Limp Biscuit though. This is about Fred Durst. And I will sign off on him uh, appearing to be a douche. Even then, I thought he was pretty cool, but sort of douchey. Um, but I uh, will agree, actually. I was going to go with a 5.5 before Buddy said that because I was like, he's more than a 5, he's less than a 6. Yes. So we'll split the difference. Yeah, he's definitely, you know, more than a Tila Tequila, but not quite a Steven Skull right off the rip. Yeah. So, and know. I don't know anything about him personally, really. So this is going to be interesting. All right, Randy, bring us home. All right, so... I would probably, out of the three of us, consider myself the biggest Fred Durst slash Limp Biscuit fan back in the day. Fair enough. Yes. Um, I've got a story here in the show that might just kind of show that a little bit. It's kind of a fun <laughs> story. Um, to your point, Mikey, right place, right time. Dude, his music was my jam for about two or three years. Yeah. Like, Sure. Man, all the stuff that kind of followed it. But you did see like musicians that are held in a pretty high regard. Whether you like Nine Inch Nails or industrial music mm -hmm. at all. You look at a guy like Trent Reznor. Oh, yeah. Go check out uh, his skill set. That guy's like... Oh, yeah. That's why he's doing, he's like, literally Oscar-winning Oscar winning soundtracks for yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. scores and everything. He's I mean, insanely Yeah, talented. he's insanely talented. He's a musician, right? Mm -hmm. So when he speaks out against you, it definitely, you know, is going to... Yeah, it's going to hurt. Especially when you look, look up to a band like that as, like, one of your, sure. you know, influences. So of course. Kind of tough, but... It sucks to see, you know, the candle kind of die out. You almost want to see bands break up and just be like, we're good. Yep. All right, cool. But I remember at one point, you know, they brought in a couple of different guitar players. Um, Wes Borland kind of jumped back and forth a couple of times. And yep. Wes had the eyes, right? That's right. They kind of had that look. Fred had the red hat. Wes was the weird guitar player with yep. the eyes. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. It was just kind of a unique thing. Their own little axle and slash. Well, yeah, and... You know, the hit song was Nookie. And if that your parents biggest, knew yeah. anything, you figure out real quick, oh, what Nookie is. And yeah. they're like, Jesus Christ. Our parents always knew. It was yeah. like when my sister had the 69 Boys CD, and my parents <laughs> told us, we know what that means. And me and my sister vomited in our own mouths. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, but I mean, like, even if they didn't know what the nookie was, like the very next line, context. well, you can take that cookie and stick it up your ass. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. what <laughs> kind of cookie, though? What kind of cookie, buddy? Peanut butter. Oh, uh, I go with the Are nutter. we fucking raisins? <laughs> I go with the nutter butter because it's ribbed for my pleasure. That's right. Still in the peanut butter family, That's though. Right. That's right. Awesome. So I'm going to give Durst off the rip a 5.0. Okay. All right. You know, he's just kind of one of those guys you have to keep away from certain people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I imagine if he was your buddy, he would be someone you may want to, like, he'd have to wait in the car if you had to go home and get something. Like, you don't want your mom. You wouldn't leave Fred Durst with your girlfriend at your apartment while you went to go get groceries. And maybe, Ever. And maybe not even in your car while you went in because mm-hmm. you couldn't bring him in your house. Yeah. You know. Hey, Fred, we got to drop you off at the gas station yeah. while we uh, run, then run to my house and uh, change clothes real yeah. quick. Why does Buddy get to come with you? <laughs> yeah. My mom knows Buddy. Yeah. Yeah. I re- you remember those? Oh, of course. He, he's, yeah. he's eaten dinner with us before. <laughs> yeah. I was one of those sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. So, yeah, 5.0 pre-show. All right. With a 5.5 from Buddy, a 5.5 from Mikey, and a 5.0 from Randy, Fred Durst's pre-show asshole score is a 5.3. All right. 5.3. Oddly enough, Fred Durst is exactly the same score as DMX and Elon Musk pre-show. 5.3. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting comparison there. Yeah. I don't know if Elon Musk has ever been compared to Fred Durst in any way, shape, or form. So we may be making He's been called a douche. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. All right. You ready to fucking tear this shit apart with a goddamn chainsaw? chainsaw? Yeah. I'll yeah. rip you tear your ass raw. And if my day keeps going this way, I just might <laughs> break your, your fucking face tonight. Damn it, time to break. Frederick Allen Maine the third was born on August 20th, 1970 in Jacksonville, Florida to mother Anita and biological father Frederick Allen Maine Jr. Maine? Like, how do you spell Maine? M-A-Y-N-E. Okay. I never knew. I always, Maine. Okay. So that's not, Fred Durst isn't his real name. That just shows how much I know about Fred Durst. Okay. Yeah. Frederick Allen Maine the third. Freddie yeah. Maine the third. Yeah, he could have got, he could have rocked that. But daddy freddie decided he wasn't going to stick around and be the dad to a millionaire rock star and left the family a few weeks after the birth of child taylor's oldest time yep so dad took off like right after fred was born that's right mother anita did not have money a house and a job which forced the woman and her little son to take shelter in the church attic eating food that the parishioners brought to them that's pretty fucking rough. So they were pretty much homeless. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, first taking couple years handouts from the church. Yep. Can we just stay here in the attic? Is that okay with you? <laughs> they, they don't even go to church. <laughs> they just, <laughs> just run around. It's like during. Like, like, the pastor's like, you know, y'all could come to church. Oh, you could keep it down up there at least when I'm <laughs> preaching to the congregation. Little Maine. Shut your fucking kid up. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just getting a bunch of fucking. Uh, the little wafers <laughs> to the food that they give them, just the little no, communion wafers. Getting drunk off the wine during upstairs church, if they're Catholics. During church, the preacher gets a broom and starts banging the ceiling. <laughs> Keep it down. If y'all don't shut the fuck up there, you ain't getting any grape juice or any of these little wafers, the oyster and crackers. As Anita struggled to get by with her young child, she met a police officer named Bill Durst. And when Fred was two years old, Bill and Anita were married, and the couple and the young Fred moved to Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. Again, when Fred was in the fifth grade, the family picked up again and moved just west of Charlotte to Gastonia, North Carolina. No, I know Gastonia. So that's kind of where Fred grew up. Okay. Really? Yeah, but where like was he born again? Jacksonville. So he was born in Jacksonville. Yep. And okay, then they moved then. to another city in North Carolina. They moved back to Jacksonville later on. He bounced back and forth Between, multiple times. Okay, yeah. Right. 
But yeah, like Gastonia, it's kind of like central North Carolina. No, it's west, very far west. It's actually just west of. It's like right before you get into Charlotte, you'll see signs for Gastonia. Yeah, it's okay. a western there suburb. There used of to be a bunch of textile mills and shit up there. Okay. Yep. Bill says his son was an average student, never getting into trouble academically. He played baseball, football, basketball, and skateboarded. And unlike what seems like every other person we've had on the show, there are no reports of professional scouts at his Little League games, nor did he test on a genius level on an IQ test. Okay, hey. well, I'm liking that. We don't have to worry about that uh, off the rip. Yeah, because hey. it's, it's obviously not the case. But <laughs> I'm glad that we don't have to find out that we have to disprove it. Yeah. I so. took the fucking test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got all aces on <laughs> it. it. Fred took an interest in music in an early childhood, often imitating the performers that his parents liked. When Fred and his brother Corey grew up, both became fans of rock music, and in particular, the band Kiss. I saw a picture of Fred Durst dressed up as Kiss. God, um, yeah. Kiss is oh, the like in the black and white with the yeah, yeah paint. The face paint. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Kiss is the fucking worst, dude. You see their pictures, and yep. you assume it's going to be like, like shred, fucking like war, like shred metal. Yeah, yeah. and it's some beat, it's some straight bitch ass shit. What a rock yeah. and roll, and that's oh, that's as hard as they rock is that particular <laughs> song. And you have a song like Beth, which I was like. Dude, for real, like, I and then, I, no, I, I've never understood it. They have this show where they have, like, he's, like, spitting blood out of his mouth. There's fireworks going everywhere, and you have a song like Beth, like the whiniest little bitch shit ever, dude. Kiss sucks balls, dude. Those guys have made so much money, but, yeah. So did little Bow Wow. I mean, I don't give a fuck. That is not the metric for good music. <laughs> Very true. I'm not saying it is, but no, you're, you're exactly right. Fred idolized and mimicked legendary skater Tony Hawk. But once high school approached, girls and sports were left behind. He found girls and they found his blue eyes, Mother Anita said. Fred attended Hunter Huss High School in Gastonia. Around 1987 or so, Durst created a breakdance group called the Reckless Crew. Okay. Now, for a second there, you said that girls and sports were left behind. I thought you were going to say he got into dudes, which I was like, this is about to get a lot more interesting. <laughs> I mean, girls, the sports got left behind. Okay, all right. Yeah. yeah. He found girls and they found his blue eyes was his mom's. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's why they, they, they ripped off the Who song behind these blue eyes. He was masturbating in the mirror while he <laughs> talked about covering that song. He was like, I remember in high school, these girls love these blue eyes. So I never even recognized he even had eyes, to be honest. But also, I'm, I'm not <laughs> that in the hat dudes. brim comes yeah, down low, you know. His mother helped kickstart his dreams and bought him a mixing console, which Fred used to mix his first tracks. Durst soon began to participate in rap competitions. When the popularity of hip-hop culture began declining, Fred and his friends found a new hobby, skateboarding. And it was around that time that Fred's musical taste began to favor heavy metal. The musician began to devote much more time not to mixing, but to writing lyrics. After graduating high school, Fred tried his hand at a bunch of different jobs. Having entered Gaston College, he began to look for some jobs in the fast food industry. Yeah, you want some fucking fries? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, let's be honest, dude. Thank God that he started working on lyrics because I don't. I mean, what would have happened had he not tried? We Where wouldn't would have the gotten, world be. We wouldn't have gotten I'll, like a chainsaw. I'll tear your ass raw, buddy. Pulled up some songs with the lyrics showing and we yeah. read them just like oh. oh it was hard it was like it was like legit like physical cringe like my butthole was legitimately yeah. closing up like i was and you, gonna are, shit and myself. you guys know me i don't really do lyrics uh -huh. you know like over yeah. the years i yes i know the words to songs but people are like oh you know what the song means i'm nope. like no i have no clue nope you know i know what the words may be yeah and i make up a lot of words you know throughout songs yeah. and fill in the gaps that's yeah. exactly right but yeah no these are the songs i totally fucking jam to when you go back and read the actual 
actual lyrics and you piece it together <laughs> and you're like, mm, eh, man, that's all right. Yeah, he should have got a, that, that Pulitzer Prize instead of Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> Fred also worked as a DJ and a skateboard instructor, but in 1988, Fred decided to join the Navy. During his time in the Navy, he married his first wife, Rachel Turkison, at the age of 20. Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. They moved to California and had one daughter, Adriana. He also has a son named Dallas that was born in 2001 with his ex-girlfriend, actress Jennifer Thayer. Fred served in the Navy for 18 months before being released on a medical discharge after he broke his hand skateboarding. Hmm. The couple divorced soon after Fred discovered that his wife was having an affair. That also sounds about right. <laughs> that, that military picture, man. Bro. Damn, uh, you see it so often. It's so true. often. It's These true. kids get out of school. Yeah. They are trying to make sense of the world. They're, they're in a lonely the place. Yeah. They're in a lonely yeah. place, and they immediately cling. And uh, you know, the military will. It's it's there's a, a monetary incentive to getting married. So a lot of them do it. And then when they when they finally go out uh, uh, on their on their ship, and their wives are fucking everybody else on base. It is it is a tale as old as time. For and then real. they come home and their house is empty, along with the bank account. That's correct. You hear it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And their wife's pregnant. They've been gone for a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. One article I read it said that Fred assaulted the dude his wife was banging and had to serve a month in jail. But I couldn't verify that one. I couldn't yeah. find it. It was just one article I read. After he got out of the service, bummed out and fresh off a divorce, Fred returned to Gastonia in a very new metal move. Instead of being sad and writing country songs, he began writing hip-hop songs to make himself feel better. Somebody served on a boat with this guy. I just can't imagine. <laughs> that just blows my mind, it was dude. his bunk. Yeah. Uh, got your mate, you know. Somebody legit was like, when that dude hit it big or whatever, and they were they were still in. They were like lifers or some shit like that, and they're like, fuck! <laughs> I gotta get on tour with he them. He told like- him, he was like, y'all should join a band with me. They're like, shut up, Durst. Just shut up. Like, nobody wants to hear your shit, dude. Well, there's people all over that have that story. Matter of fact, there is a... I'm not gonna get into too much detail, but there is a uber world famous television actor and producer okay. from around this area that worked at a place I used to work at and, yep. th- and he left right before I started working there 20 years ago mm-hmm. and the the legend goes that pretty much he told everybody I quit fuck you guys watch how big of a star I'm going to be and they kind of laughed like get the fuck out of here yeah. dude and then it turned out being like I said, I'm not going to drop names, but if I said his name, everybody in the world would know who it is. So. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, just kind of crazy. I actually had one of my people that worked for me. And she left, and she told us the reason she was quitting was because she was a TikTok star. And I was like, "Good luck with that <laughs> That's shit." That's right. I remember this. Yeah, I was like, "Good luck with that, dude." I mean, whatever works best for you. And then one of my coworkers was like, uh, "She has a million followers." Showed me her TikTok page, and I was like, "You ain't fucking kidding me! Holy shit!" Wow. Yeah. So it's good crazy. for her. After he started writing his songs, he organized a rap duet together with a friend. The guys recorded a promotional video, which did not help them get a recording contract. Durst was upset about the failure and returned to Jacksonville, where he perfected his craft as a tattoo master. Okay. Durst is actually the one who tattooed Corn's logo on the back of its guitarist Brian Welch. Okay, so oh, wow. there's the like, connection. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and they knew each other. Um, Corn was playing in a city, and Fred went there, brought a bunch of Limp Biscuits tapes, somehow got it in their hands, and invited them over to his house. That's what it was. Right. And wound up like partying in his house after the show. Yada yada yada. Gotcha. Gave him a tattoo. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how that all worked out. Yep. Okay. 
As for Fred, since his youth, he has covered his body with various tattoos. The most striking images are the portraits of Elvis Presley and Kurt Cobain on his chest. Have you ever seen them? No, I haven't. No, I've never seen Fred Dirt's chest. You don't look up uh, bare-chested? You don't Google that? No, no, bare, bare butt. Uh, what he's does he got, have on his butt? Uh, he's got a, a, a mean turd cutter on him, that it's little dude. It's chocolate starfish <laughs> and hot yeah. dog flavored water. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've never seen those tattoos. Are they good quality? Pretty good. Yeah. You can tell who it is. That's good. That <laughs> helps a lot. That's All right, cool. here we go. Here's a. Uh, oh, that looks like, honestly, so you guys should check this out because it looks like Kurt Cobain and Elvis just got caught making out. <laughs> uh, you just walked in, into a public bathroom as they were making out and they're both staring back at you like, uh, it's our choice. It's okay in America. That is actually a pretty good depiction of what that go. looks like. So yeah. go look that shit up now. We're busy in here. Yeah. Hands up. Give me all your money. Well, enough money for a cheeseburger from the value menu, at least. We are now live on Patreon. Find us there at patreon.com slash podcast to get all the latest episodes of Conspiracy Court, ad-free shows, shout-outs, stickers, and a whole lot more. It would be a crime if you didn't. Big thanks to all our fans, and we appreciate all your support. Let's dive back into the action. Fred started to jump in with some local bands, however, but never really seemed to make any traction. He was in groups by the names of Split 26, okay. Malachi Sage. What? Yeah. And that the sounds la- like a fucking hippie Jewish dude. Yeah. As I said, name their kids like some new age mom is like, this is Malachi Sage. Malachi Sage. He's a crystal child. <laughs> and the last Malachi Sage Johnson. That's it. Yeah. He's, he's got a career at GNC coming up. <laughs> and the last band before the big one was 10 Foot Shindig. Okay. That sounds like Russell Crowe's band. <laughs> it's like nine foot of odd grunts or whatever it is. It's like 10 foot shindig. Yep. 10 foot shindig. And there's all those bands like 10 CC or whatever it is and loving spoonful, which is all supposed to be the amount of like, uh, the, the load that you, the average man blows. What is it? It's, there's a band called loving spoonful spoonful. Okay. Yeah. And then there was one called, I think called 10 CC or something like that. Oh, and they were 10 like, CC. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, for some reason, I just think about a lot of jizz-oriented band names, and that's, you know, ten, <laughs> 10 foot of a shindig automatically goes right to some sort of weird sex act. I don't know. The band we all know, Limp Biscuit, was created in 1994 when Durst met oh, Sam Revers. I forgot. Limp Biscuit is the name of the band, which itself is... <laughs> got it. So the reason he named it Limp Biscuit was literally to make people think that they suck, if that makes sense. Well, and they asked, I, I mean, we said, I want a name that makes repels to people. Yeah. I always heard it as also because we there was the, the horrible uh, game Soggy Biscuit. And I heard that there was a like a local uh, sort of verbiage for it. Sometimes it's called Limp Biscuit. And I thought that was what it was. But I mean, I don't oh, know. I think sure I remember not. that being yeah. the kind of lore back in the day. Yeah. If it was like a different like a, a regional uh, variation on, on the Soggy Biscuit game, which is. Just fucking disturbing. Yeah, Google Soggy Biscuit and find out what that is. That's kind of like the the legend that Ric Flair lived in that neighborhood by our high school. Yeah. It's not a legend. (laughs) It's true. So, yeah, Limp Biscuit was created in 94 when Durst met Sam Rivers, the future bass player, in a cafe. Sam invited his brother, John Otto, who became a drummer to the group. The last member to join was Wes Borland, and then DJ Lethal joined the guys about a year later. That's right. And DJ Lethal came from House of Pain. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that had to be pretty cool for them. They were a nobody, and all of a sudden you got the DJ from House of Pain, who right. was, you know, fairly big. A jump around fame. That's right, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what uh, I saw, or I listened to a couple interviews with him before uh-huh. we before we recorded the show, and he talks about like how like as they're coming up. Just some of the people that they met along the way and got to work with. He was like, dude, I was like this kid from North Carolina yep. that all of a sudden, like, you know, like I'm working with DJ Lethal and like also like he ended up becoming really good friends with Polly Shore. Like yeah. right as Fred Durst is taking off, Polly Shore is like plummeting. Yeah. Son-in-law and is over. And yeah. Uh, all of his movie yeah. deals are over. Yeah. And uh, he's no longer really the. the. F- he was no longer wheezing the juice. No, right. no, he was not wheezing the MTV juice anymore. Yeah. And uh, he met Fred right at that time, and Fred was like, oh, my God, yeah. it's fucking the weasel, you know? He's like, we're going to hang out all the time. And they actually became really good friends, and yeah. he, the weasel went on tour with them for, like, a, a lot of their tours back yeah. then and stuff. And Fred just was like, yeah, like, all of a sudden, it's just like, I'm on a tour bus, and Polly Shore's walking by in, like, a string bikini with, like, half of his bush out, <laughs> rubbing his nuts on people. Like, God, wh- sounds what bad. is my life? You know, yeah. like, this is crazy. Quincy Jones is over in the corner stroking himself, <laughs> like, I'm make a star out of you, boy. <laughs> Things were just odd. <laughs> Anchored by the band's creative cover, the 1988 George Michael hit Faith, the demo landed them on the 1998 OzFest tour and earned them a growing legion of fans. Yep. In 1999, Limp Biscuit released Significant Other, a game changer of an album for the group, which included the top 10 singles Rearranged and Nookie. Over the next several years, Limp Biscuit emerged as one of music's most popular bands, successfully bringing together elements of hip hop and metal known as new metal. Yeah, and you. And you. Umlaut metal. over the top of it That's just right. to make it extra metallic. That's right. Yeah, they're always trying to put labels on all that you stuff. Have to. And That's, n- blame that on the 80s where they were like, I don't know, man. Nordic death metal is cool as fuck. <laughs> Super dark, and they have these weird little things over their letters. Yeah, Let's try that out. Lots. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rap rock. The month of July in 1999 was definitely a fucking crazy one for Durst and the Biscuits. On July 12th, Fred who two weeks ago had been named a vice president at Interscope Records. Yeah, the dude was killing it, and they made him a VP at Interscope. Yeah, he, I mean, he they blew up quick, and yeah. that's the thing. I mean, it's to get to that level. And that is the, it is sort of like an honorary title. They gave it to Jay-Z uh, with uh, Def Jam and stuff like that, but it was probably more business-oriented, but... Well, he had a, at least a little bit more under his belt because he was directing all the videos. All the videos. Yeah. That was a for, big thing. Yeah. That, you know, so it wasn't just him, like, just the music only. Right. And, uh, yeah, like, in every video that they did was pretty much a number one on TRL, yeah. like, yeah. I mean, instantly. But it was, in, of course, in, like, two years. If yeah. Even that. If even that, really, yeah. like a year and a half, all of a sudden, he went from being, like, some fucking burnout tattoo artist in Jacksonville or whatever, and then all of a sudden, he's, like... A VP for Interscope Records. And it was shit. like yeah. ninety nine to two thousand one. Yeah, it was right in their wheelhouse. And he talks about it. He said that like the whole time, like he just really wanted to be a director. Um, he wasn't really like, and he saw that like Limp Biscuit was kind of like the vehicle. He was like, all right, cool, I can put a band together, mm-hmm. and then we can like, I'll be making the, I'll be directing the videos yeah. for the band. Yeah, he was doing videos for like Corn and some other people yep. too. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, he got to do it off of that, yeah. but that so they ended up like uh, blowing up real quick. And then they got the chance to like do their first video, and 
it was like they they had hired somebody like really big to do the video and he was like no i want to direct it and they're like no fuck you like <laughs> the somebody else is going to do it and they're like they, it's francis ford coppola he was like it was fuck something that guy uh, was he done it was something like that <laughs> yeah. and uh they recorded the video uh and it was like just like he was like no fuck this shit it's not limp biscuit was it the nookie video it was the nookie video yeah. that video is dope as shit we and watched was it like, before the show yeah, yeah he was like i went back with the 16 millimeter camera and it was just like i wanted to make it look as fun as fucking possible just backstage girls mission topless tits crowds jumping he was like i pretty pretty much took the uh motley crew yeah no, he took the, the motley crew uh yeah. home sweet home video okay and just modernized it yeah and uh threw in some break dancing there you go and worked out well yeah a fun yeah. video so yeah, July twelfth, ninety nine, Fred was arrested and jailed for allegedly kicking a security guard at a concert in St. Paul, Minnesota. The performance continued despite the alleged attack, during which police said Durst assaulted twenty nine year old local security guard Pat Estes at the Roy Wilkins Auditorium. The victim said he was trying to remove one of the concert goers when an unidentified person started fighting with him, said Michael Jordan, public information officer for the St. Paul Police Department. <laughs> That's it. That's how he was moonlighting. <laughs> Mike Jordan was the uh, public information <laughs> it's officer. Kind of like Hall. Steven Seagal, yeah. you know, being the cop over there in New Orleans, That's right? Or Louisiana Shaq. Parish. Shaq. Yeah. Shaq. <laughs> Imagine Shaq raiding your house on a drug raid, though. <laughs> oh my God, God, you're in a trailer. And he just like completely caves his head in on like the fucking ceiling. It's like when, it's like, when a trailer hits a bridge, yeah. it just kind of like shreds the thing. He walks in and but Shaq shreds the trailer yeah. with his head. It's like Alice in Wonderland. He's taking the cake that makes him super big, and he's like in a tiny room. He's like the Tyrannosaurus Rex in Jurassic Park looking into the car, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Durst was arrested after leaving the stage at 11 p.m. and released around 4.30 a.m. the following morning after posting a $50,000 bail. The incident began when Durst's security guard, Richard Surrency, was trying to remove a concert goer from the stage. Estes apparently mistook Surrency for another fan and tried to kick both of them out. So essentially the local guy was trying to kick out Durst's bodyguard and this fan that Durst's bodyguard was already trying to kick out. Okay. Yeah. But then Durst said, I kicked that punk-ass security guard in the head. As uh, Durst said this from the stage following the incident, according to police, that fucking bitch, you ain't going to get a check tonight. After a few more songs, Durst asked about Estes' whereabouts. Where's oh. that fucking security guard, Durst said. <laughs> Where's that fucking pussy bitch? Jesus Christ. Yeah. There yeah, you know. that's it's easy to say when you got a whole security squad with you, and you again, you kicked a guy in the head that wasn't even looking. Yeah. Solid take, man. That Estes guy's... was taken to the hospital for observation. His injuries weren't thought to be serious. Durst said he was sorry he kicked Estes and that he shouldn't have done it. That's what he said in the court proceedings after he was sued. After he was, <laughs> they sued those Jenko pants clean off of him. He didn't seem to be nasty or mean, but he bragged to the audience that he did it, according to the police. Yeah. Just two weeks later, on July 24th, 1999, Limp Biscuit played at Woodstock 99. The crowds were already getting restless, pissed off at paying stupid prices for food and water, shitty camping conditions, and not to mention it was hot as hell. Biscuit hit the stage and the crowd busted into a frenzy and literally began to tear the venue apart when they played break stuff so yep. go figure yeah i mean the videos from that are just insane oh, yeah. no there's a very excellent documentary about it on hbo i highly recommend everybody watching it because it gives you the, the whole thing and it, it, it took what, woodstock me, 99 or yeah, something like exactly. that exactly uh and it took me back to being that age at that time and it's You're like i know somebody that would have done that stuff oh 100 percent. it was a it was it, there was a it, like i said there was a zeitgeist to that period and and it really nails it 
And it doesn't feel good <laughs> when I watch it. I wasn't like, oh yeah, like it wasn't. I you know it wasn't. I, I imagine like a lot of people, uh, the the boomers watch like Woodstock '69 uh, videos. And they're like, yeah, man, that was a great cool time. We, we were this so cool, man. Yeah, this time it was like. Wow, we were like there was a, just a generation of fucking like violent assholes. <laughs> like, I didn't feel good about it inside. I also knew that I would have absolutely been one of those people in the crowd with a wife beater on, like fucking pushing over porta potties. Well, you know, and and not to get too deep, but I wonder if that plays a part into kind of the societal or really the age difference gap between dudes our age and like teenagers now, mm-hmm. because you know. We grew up in, like, if you want to settle a difference, you fought. Like, yep. there was a lot of fights when we grew up, right? We yep. sure. talked about it all the time. Yep. Nowadays, the kids don't fight. It's interesting, too, because it was a strange... I actually was at my dad's house this last weekend, and we were talking about it because he was like, I remember the stories that you that I would hear from you. And he was like, why did you guys fucking fight so much? And I was like... I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah. know but it was, it was seemed it, like a thing to do. It did because he was like, we weren't like that. We was like, we would fight if fights would occur, but it was like very one on one. I was like, we were like a pack of rabid dogs. Like <laughs> yeah. it was yeah. straight up like war zone, Braveheart behind Club La Vila in Panama City. It was Woodstock '99. It was legitimately like it felt unnecessarily violent, and these songs play into that to some extent so when he then they were like hey if you guys could chill it out because people are are very angry and he was like i mean it's limp biscuit they're gonna do their thing and that was to play shit like break something and it's and it's a song about fucking shit up you know interestingly enough as the machine keeps on as the limp biscuit machine keeps on getting bigger and moves on fred started to notice that like he was seeing all these kids out in the crowd yep. with the red hats the fighters and mm-hmm. stuff like that and like the big bullies and stuff and he was like those are the people that used to beat me up like back yep. in the day and here yeah, i am exactly encouraging right. them yeah. and it actually became like a, a point of contention for him i think yeah, that's like part of why he stepped away later on down the road yeah he definitely yeah. said that it's fun you to know? sit there and talk about like i'll break your fucking ass and shit <laughs> like that but hey man sometimes people got really fucking hurt in those fights and yeah. I, I think about that as an adult now a lot of times i'm like there's people with scars that we oh, yeah. know and have seen get those scars. Yeah, like, yeah. mentally sure. ruined from these fights and shit. So I'm not sitting here trying to be like an like an old fucking wet end, but I was just like, <laughs> it was a very specific time and it was part of what we grew up with. I don't know. You know, interestingly enough, I did see that they said that um, when you looked at like Dazed and Confused that came out in the 90s. Yeah. And it was, it was portraying the 70s mm-hmm. that the comparable time to write now, if it were to come out now, it, w- it would be portraying 2005. God, oh, well, that's, I, by that point, I was already an adult. Damn it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, feel, yeah. Like, we were uh, playing an adult league soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. League yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah. That's true. The good old days. It, you know, it not in a venue setting, but in like if people have a beef with each other now, they take it on social media. They do yeah. social media yeah. bullying. They do cyber bullying. Not, and they just yeah. do it a different way other than the physical. There was multiple like uh, like famous brawls that from people that we grew up with, including the Leonard Skinner concert brawl. There was the Panama City brawls. There was, I mean, it was, uh, it was, dude, there's a lot. Of, like I said, that's my dad, we were talking about this weekend, which is the only reason I bring this up because he was just like, what the fuck was going on with you guys? You guys weren't from bad neighborhoods, but no, you just no. insisted we were, on like here's the acting like you were from no, bad neighborhoods. And I, but I always tried to shy away from it too. Like even me being in the like yeah. group, I didn't understand it a lot either. Here's the thing. We were, were the rational one. <laughs> no, but we were extremely loyal. Like yeah. our group of friends, almost it, it mafia was a very style, ex- loyal. very expanded group of friends, yeah. all very loyal to each other. 
And if you would go somewhere like a Leonard Skinner concert and somebody probably did get out of hand from our group, a fight starts. Yeah fight ensues but that's the thing is like we weren't at woodstock 99 but what i saw in that documentary was i was like oh there was just armies of dudes like us it wasn't isolated just no uh, it was like i said it was a zeitgeist thing there was like a a moment in time where that was like the culture and uh it was i think again perfect time perfect place perfect music for it and this is why limp biscuit was huge at the time and talking about songs about like i'm gonna fuck everything up and tear shit up you're like yeah did you realize the two stages were almost two and a half miles apart Oh, no. Really? Yeah, almost two and a half miles God, apart. that is a trek. Yeah. We knew a couple and people I mean, that went to it, and I remember like before they left for it, there was there was a big party, and they were like, hey, we're getting ready to head up there, and I remember being jealous about it, and then immediately I was like, I'm glad I didn't go to that shit. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, like I've been to a, a decent number of festivals and stuff like that where it's like multi-stage, multi-headliner like stage and like side local stage, but I mean, like the majority of that is always like compiled into like a one mile radius and yeah. even then you're yeah. like going back and forth you're like oh like yep. fuck you know yeah. Less, yeah. let alone two and a half miles like yeah well i'm speaking about the, like the loyalty thing and music concerts i remember going to music midtown uh which is, is a big music festival here in atlanta, atlanta. hundred thousand people there this was uh 2003 so i was like really excited about seeing the strokes so we went, it was me and a buddy of ours and like his younger brother. And we went and of course we like met up with everybody from our hometown. Everybody's standing there and I'm like hyped to see the strokes. And uh, as the concert is going, all of a sudden the fight breaks out and everybody's like, Mikey, come on, we gotta go fight these guys. And I was like, God damn it. I just, the strokes yeah, are on. That was it. That was the end. I was like, this is fucking bullshit. I just like, can we go to a concert without fighting every other town around us? It would be ideal. Back to Woodstock 99, break stuff on stage. They're fucking shit up. Fred kind of tried to chill the crowd out, but there was a lot of people pissed off at him afterward. The whole thing was a shit show. There was riots, fires, sexual assaults, and the whole thing of it was just bad. It's almost like if Firefest would have actually happened. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that's, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was... A little bit better than that, but still. Different like, vibe. It was a little different. Yeah. But. Well, I mean, even like Firefest was supposed to be like super like Instagram friendly and shit and, like this. Yeah. It shouldn't exist then. It was like, yeah, you just show up and do a ton of drugs and maybe fist fight. <laughs> they had like a rave all night. And then you, you knew fucking, you were camping in the woods yeah. or in a field yeah. Yeah. up in upstate New York. You're shitting in somebody's tent. That's not yours. <laughs> Unfortunately for Durst, people got angry with them all over again in 2021 when the documentary Woodstock 99 Peace, Love, and Rage, put the spotlight on the problematic music festival again. Fred addressed the Woodstock 99 controversy while talking to Variety magazine in 2019. During the interview, Durst pointed out that Limp Biscuit was hired to put on an energetic show, and that's what they did. Limp Biscuit's an easy target, so bring it on. It's easy to point the finger and blame us, but they hired us for what we do, and all we did is what we do. I would turn the finger and point it back to the people that hired us. Honestly, when you watch the Woodstock uh, 99, the Peace, Love, and Rage or whatever it was, they actually are pretty fair about it because they're, they're talking about like, in my mind, actually going back in my memory, it was that Lent Biscuit set everything off. Like it was like, it was already like very tense. But then when they came on there, that's when it opened up the floodgates. They were the kerosene. Correct. Back. But that really wasn't the case. In fact, 
a lot of people don't realize is that they were that they played either the first or the second day. It wasn't even the third. It was, it was, the, it was the second it was the Saturday. Yeah, the third was, day. The fourth, Sunday was the last day. Yeah. The third day was when it really. That's when they were burning shit and stuff like that. And red that was hot actually chili peppers. Red hot chili peppers. Yeah. That's when they asked uh, Anthony Kiedis and them to like just chill out and instead can, of chilling can you play out, under the bridge? Yeah, they wanted. It, it, that's pretty much what it was. It was like play under the bridge, something calm to calm everybody down. Instead, they played Jimi Hendrix fire and, and, and as things burn we got then, this yeah. hold on but but all of that uh hate really was like everybody for some reason the story became that it, limp biscuit did that uh, limp biscuit obviously did not calm the crowd down but it wasn't they weren't the ones that that, that did all that and in all fairness like what he said was he was like dude we're limp biscuit like we're not we this is what we do yeah. like you've booked us I mean, it's on the promoters to be able to ensure that you have safe surroundings for for everything that's going on, yeah. and you have to anticipate in a, in worst case scenarios. Mm-hmm. And that's like a lot of the times you see these things where it ends up just being a quick cash grab, yep. and a lot of people who just don't know what it takes to really put on these festivals, yep. and then the bands get blamed yep. for doing what they fucking do. Well, and know? they even talked about in the documentary about really the 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 reality of Woodstock '69 was fucked up. Because the promoters didn't really know what they were doing. They were cheaping out. And that 94 actually was good. 99 was the same thing. But also that like it became even worse because like they cheaped out on security. They put all these energetic bands in there. They put they brought more people in than they should have. They did it on like a fucking tarmac where there's no yeah. it's like a heat sink, essentially. Yeah. And then they were charging like Bukus of cash for like water and shit like that. Yeah. So people were. It's about seven dollars per water. Yeah. Right? Well, it's, it's like it turns into a corporate cash grab, you know, yeah. versus being an authentic music festival yep. put on by people who love it and yeah. stuff like that. You know, it's corporate America getting, you know, Woodstock '99 brought to you by Starbucks. Right. And and know. and the story became that. Fred Durst and Limp Biscuit caused everybody to riot and these rapes to happen. And it's way more complicated. And honestly, like I said, the documentary did a good job of sort of breaking that down. So oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. They told Kiedis, hey, buddy, we're going to need you to yeah. chill him out up there. He said, hold my soy latte. <laughs> Dude, yeah. <laughs> Nobody gives the Red Hot Chili Pepper shit at all. But that was when shit was like burning down. And they were like, hey, dudes, let's play fire. And they nailed it. A great, a great, a, 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 a great stand, rendition. Your fire. But it's it, also the other thing was in that documentary, because like, we grew up as corn fans and I uh, abandoned corn and Lent Biscuit pretty early on afterwards or whatever. But like that corn set was some of the most energetic shit I've ever seen in a concert ever like yeah. for a, like i'm not a corn fan or whatever but like respect where it's due because like jonathan davis came out there and when they did that like i i mean that it was it like was a million people man. and it was like dude that shit was nuts yeah that's how i mean that's how concerts kind of were back in the ni- late 90s early 2000s in that sense like yeah like it would get crazy up there oh, and yeah. that's- all right so in june of 2000 limp biscuits tour was sponsored by the controversial file sharing service Napster. Yeah. Oh. If you don't remember what Napster was, they were the first and the biggest at the time to give people the ability to stream music, to yep. put it very simply. Sean Parker. If you love Spotify, you can thank Napster because yep. they pretty much started that ball rolling. And there's a whole other show you could do about Lars Ulrich versus Napster. That's but right. That's, oh, not, yeah. that's for another time. Anyway, I have a very fond memory of this tour. There was a specific caveat to this whole tour. The tickets were free. Fans would camp out and wait until the venue started to hand out tickets to the show that night. Limp Biscuit announced their show in Atlanta, and uh, we knew that we needed to be there. The day was July 23rd, year 2000. 
It's me and three of our friends. We drove to the venue in downtown Atlanta, a place called the Tabernacle. By the time we got there and set up, they were about three blocks away. We threw down our coolers and lawn chairs and set up shop, then proceeded to drink about 100 beers among our group. There may or may not have been some irregular fungi involved. We drank through the night <laughs> until the sun came up, and the rumors began to swirl around the time they were going to start to give out the tickets, right? There was a total buzz in the crowd. You started to- You feel the energy. Oh, we heard this. We heard this. Yeah, we had literally been up all night drinking. By the time the people walked out of the venue to even address people, all fucking hell broke loose. People just grabbed their shit and ran. Yeah. And we just all ran to the fucking tabernacle. Bum rush. Yep. And it, it turned out almost like a concert crowd in front of this guy. And he's like, chill the fuck out. Yeah. Everybody's going to get in. Chill the fuck out. This is a, what they call in economics the tragedy of the commons. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, well played, sir. This is why you can't have nice things. <laughs> So anyway, they lined us back up. We wound up getting our tickets and going home to sleep. One of our buddies got dropped off at his house, got into a fight with his mom, kicked an overturned trash can that had an empty keg underneath it, yeah. and broke his foot. He was so amped up from that, give me something to break. Yeah. How about my fucking foot tonight? <laughs> he went to the hospital, got a, a foot put in the cast in a boot, and made it to the concert that night. Uh, the concert was off the fucking chain. So they had put up these 16 foot high chain link fences yeah. for this whole concert yep. tour. And one of our buddies who is still probably the craziest in our group of friends kept climbing the fence over and over. And the security guard would just reach up and grab him by the pants and just sling him back in the crowd. Let's do it he, again. Oh, he fucking loved it. Um, and honestly, it was just insane. So pretty, we were on the floor right there by it. It was nuts. The opening band, Cypress Hill. Oh, ball. Yeah. yeah. I still listen to Cypress Hill though. I've oh, had, yeah. I listened to Black Sunday with my wife and kid on the way home, like literally like, I don't know, maybe a month ago. And I was like, let's just put this shit on real quick. We'll see how this hits. And my son's 10, you know, but I was like, I mean, it's not so bad that it's, I was like, he doesn't really fully understand. It. And also be it's real. from the bar. Yeah. Be, be real. His voice is a little, he's like, well, let's the funk let's take the blunt. I twisted. So my son has no clue, but he's like, he's like, that bass is hitting pop. Boom. Yeah. Can I see the lyrics for this? Yeah. No, no, yeah, no. Black Sunday is still a great album. Man. I just remember that guy there. I can't remember. They get Be Real. Yeah, Be Real. Yeah, came yeah. out. That guy had like a six foot glass bong. Yeah. And just Hope Merry ripped, Christmas. ripped bong hits on the stage. And yeah. this was like 2000 before it was like cops were cool with pot. Yeah. Like they were looking to fucking yeah. bust you with anything. You know? yeah. Any yeah. reason. Yes, I smoke shit straight, straight from, from the, the road clips. <laughs> That's what remember on the Simpsons when they had the, the festival at Homer was at the it was at the festival and Be Real was there and they were like, Okay, who ordered the full orchestra? They said, possibly while high, Cypress Hill, I'm looking in your direction. They're all shaking. They their said, head. Did we do that? Do you have a show subject you think would be a great fit for Asshole Court? Hit us up on any of our social media pages and let us know. As you know, we're full of good ideas, and some say full of other stuff, but we'd love to hear your ideas as well. Give us a shout, and maybe your subject will wind up in our courtroom. We'll definitely give you a shout out. Now, let's dive back into the courtroom. It was right around this time that Fred was taking his shot with some of the biggest pop stars in the world. When Fred and Christina Aguilera performed together at the 2000 MTV Music Awards with a rendition of Living It Up, People were A, not very impressed, and B, confused as to why this happened in the first place. Yep. At one point in the song, Durst re-engineered a line with, I want that girl, that's that. 
Unsurprisingly, that girl didn't appreciate such a comment and later gave MTV a message to pass along to Durst. You wish you got some nookie from it, Christina said. He got no nookie. That did not happen. It's some really crazy stuff that people want to insinuate and people want to say, and it's hurtful. So he uh, insinuated, I guess, that he slept with Christina Aguilera, and she's like, hell no, didn't do it. Hmm, man. And then there was a run at Britney Spears in her prime. Okay. And I got to say, Britney in her prime may be my favorite of all the pop stars. Of all time. Yeah, during her prime. like Let's discuss. She was really hot. Who's y'all's favorite? Let's discuss for just a second here. Uh, uh, does it have to be pop stars or just general celebrities? Um, let's let's go with like the musician. Yeah, because I mean, okay. I, you can go hottest. Of I'll all be time. honest. Um, I will go probably Jessica Simpson at her peak. To me, was super Ooh, hot. Yeah, yeah she, was she hot. yeah. yeah. Buddy, um, what do you got? You know, if if we're going back to that time, also and in that realm, um, you know, I was always a a, a big Jewel fan. Like, okay. she's got a li- She looks like she would be. Fun. Gonna be honest, that was one of the last names I expected. Me too. Yeah. No, I like she. She looks like she's not like the Jessica Simpsons. The, no. It would not be fun to have a conversation with her. I think uh, with, with Jessica Jewel. Simpson. Oh no, it'd be awful. You know what I mean. But with Jewel, I think it would be fun to hang out and talk to. Don't her old girl need Invisalign? That's possible. But I, yeah. <laughs> I think. Right? It's, uh, but then if you want to go on the other side, I probably would have said J-Lo or something like that. You, you know, know, that was actually the name I was thinking. Really? Was, See, I've always I've heard I've always heard, like heard horror stories about what a horrible bitch that she is. I've heard so, I've heard that as well. So, you know, but I mean, then again, on I the mean, streets. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I guess. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's tough. I, it's a bummer that you narrowed it down to like pop stars because you guys both know who my favorite was at that time, which was Salma Hayek. Like yeah. I, that was like I was, my fam- favorite. I at was the time totally too. convinced that if I went on uh, what was that show on MTV where you could meet them, remember you could meet. It was like fanatic, Pumped. fanatic, fanatic, um, yeah. fanatic. I was like, dude, I'm gonna go on fanatic and I'm gonna woo her and it will work. <laughs> we were like, yeah, Mikey, <laughs> yeah, sure, dude, you got the, a chance. The bro. 18, 18, 19 year old brain, not, not. Fully developed. Yeah, that frontal lobe doesn't develop till <laughs> no. around 25. No. So. It really was all about that he says, she says bullshit in 2003 when Fred and Brittany allegedly may have gotten it on. Brittany has never publicly confirmed it, but she said, he said some pretty amazing things about me, but um, I think he leaped in too deep too quick. While Fred commented six years after the fact, saying, I just guess at the time it was taboo for a guy like me to be associated with a gal like her. I look back on it as very interesting in terms of how things may have sort of unraveled for her since. I'm still a supporter. I was then, and I guess I am now. Okay, so let's break that down. No, no, fuck that. He went on Howard Stern, mm-hmm. and Howard was like, all right, tell me, did you do her from behind? Oh, and he's God. like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to say all that. He's like, no, fuck that. You're on Howard Stern. <laughs> Talk to me here. Like, what happened? Yeah. And like, basically, at the end, he was like, yeah, we did it. Okay. And, so, oh, so here, wow. here's here's from what she said. Here's here's how I think this played out. They did hook up. They hooked up. Yeah, they hooked I, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And here's but, what you also got to look but, at. But what she just said tells it all. Because I've been on the other side of this, where you're like really into a chick, and then immediately jump to like, oh, I'm in love with you, and she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. So I think that they did hook up, but he immediately went like way into like. We're I would have too. I don't blame no, him. I, I'm not. I'm not blaming him. 
But it's just funny for him to to pass it off and be like, yeah, you know, it's just like you whatever. Cuddling he in was, bed with his shirt off with his red hat on. We could be a power couple. <laughs> oh, dude, and he was like blowing her shit up. He was blowing her up. And she was just like, leave this motherfucker. Stop. You're, now you're starting to harass me. Now it's getting <laughs> weird, Fred. Now, it, it, yeah. See, now I've got to take the completely opposite stance on that. Interesting. I think that her and Fred actually hit it off and that they were doing good, but her team was like, you can't get with fucking Fred Durst. You're fucking Britney Spears. All right. And so, and the, the point that I'll bring to this is look at her first husband. That dude was a piece of trailer trash. Federline. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin Federline. Federline. He was a fucking dancer tra- piece of trailer yeah, but trash. That goes against what you're saying because it's like, no, he was no. trailer trash. And so like, why would, why would Fred Durst not be good enough? If she he got was? tired of the team telling her what she could, who she oh, could date. So, so she another... was always attracted to those kind of like, all right. Bad boy. <laughs> they said tonight on Crossfire with Buddy and Mikey. <laughs> he said, "My opinion is, sir, sir." But to be perfectly honest, give uh, me your breakdown yeah. of Britney Spears and Fred Durst. Yeah, he's early two thousand. I like a bipartisan approach here on how we think about Fred Durst and Britney Spears. It's the most important thing in negative twenty years. <laughs> See, like I, for, I always thought for some reason that like Fred Durst was the catalyst to Britney and Justin breaking up. Up, oh no! For some reason, in my head, that I had was it. the dude that actually uh, said Michael Jackson fucked him. What? what? Yeah, yeah. The, the she had a. We dancer. need a little bit more information. Uh, his name is Wade Robson. Wade Wade Robson. Yeah, or whatever. It yeah, is. Wade Robson. Yeah. He uh, was the dancer on her team. He also danced with up. Michael Jackson. Oh uh, yeah, he was in the Finding Neverland. There you go. Oh, that's so that was like the crime wizard seventy. Yeah, (laughs) the crime river video was because, uh, and this is we were getting we we were getting gossip girl here. This is this is the (laughs) checkout line of uh, your local grocery store in 1999. Uh, this is uh, this is the conversation we're this having is the here. Star Magazine, yeah, like live conversation. But that's what happened. Uh, Wade Wade Robson, Robson, whatever, whatever Robson. was. Uh, yeah, he danced for up. Michael Jackson and and got, for Britney Spears. Got and then him and Britney he was yep. the catalyst in between Justin and correct. It was Britney breaking Durst. up, and then that's what the 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 video when he hooked up yeah. with Timberlake hooked I, up with. Uh, I gotta, I'm gonna name? be I'm gonna be honest. At this point, our 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 friends in Ireland, Shawnee, them are. <laughs> Are tuning out. <laughs> They're like, I what the fuck are these lads talking about, man? I didn't realize. I had no clue you were a poofter. <laughs> During a 2001 tour of Australia at the Big Day Out Festival in Sydney, fans rushed the stage in the mosh pit, and teenager Jessica Michalik died of asphyxiation. In Auckland, New Zealand, on the same tour, Durst threw water over the head of a security guard tasked with defusing a similar situation. During the big day out crush, Durst has been accused of taunting security guards intervening in the situation. In court, Durst, represented by his longtime attorney, Ed McPherson, testified he had warned the concert's organizers, Aaron Jackson, Will Pierce, and Amir Taylor, and promoter Vivian Lees, of the potential dangers of such minimal security. After viewing video and hearing witness testimony, the coroner said it was evident that the density of the crowd was dangerous at the time, that Limp Biscuit took the stage and Durst should have acted more responsibly when the problem became apparent. Durst stated he was emotionally scarred because of the teenager's death. Yeah, and that's actually the thing that occurred recently with the Travis Scott concert. Yeah, um, absolutely. There's, there's plenty of, of uh, examples of this where, A, you're starting with a, uh, a foundation of people excitement. trying... Oh, well, excitement, and then people cheaping it, uh, out on security to maximize their profit margin. 100%. But... 
it is really on the performers to sort of recognize problems in the crowd and when shit gets they can't always do it but he has a litany of events here or instances where he's obviously like goading shit on and not like helping the situation yeah and you know that's what you also like got to kind of think about is from one point of view, it's like, you know, he's going to work every day. You know what? You know, albeit it is him running around on stage and singing and stuff like that. He is going to work in the same way. People like go to movies and you end up going on set every day. But you start to like, you know, like shit starts to rub you the wrong way. Like, God damn it. They fucking cheaped out again on security. Mm-hmm. You know, so I wonder if like you still to some know. degree, like, does it like, you know, like. No, because it's still at the end of the day, it's it's still the health and safety of your fans. And if you see a crush occurring and it, like I said, there's plenty of instances of people doing it right. Pearl Jam's done it. I've seen videos yeah, where, where they're like, they're the like, show. stop, they're like, stop yeah. the show. Yeah. Everybody stop, like back up. Or if someone's like getting trampled, like I'm not going to blame somebody if they don't see it. But like when you have like a Travis Scott situation where they're like, literally people are like, hey, people are getting fucking hurt. And he's like. Fuck it, run it. Yeah, and that's next song. Yeah, like that is that's where you step over the line of like uh, potential like ignorance, which is unfortunate, into where it's 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 borderline malicious, where you like negligence. You have the opportunity to to stop, and I get you want to put on a good show, but you can't let people get hurt. And if you see that, if it happens one time, it's one thing, but obviously this is happening multiple times. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Durst made a small debut on the not-so-big screen when a sex tape with Fred was leaked in 2005. Gross. He definitely didn't want it to get out, but one of the funniest parts about it is someone updated his IMDb by listing it under his directing credits as Fred Durst's sex tape, short and uncredited. (laughs) Uh, He clearly didn't want the world to see him in action between the sheets, as shown by the $70 million lawsuit he filed against 10 of the websites that posted the video. Yeah. But we have a surprise for our listeners. Uh-oh. You can go to our website, and we've got a link in the show that'll direct you right to the tape. Oh, well, I'm just kidding. I was <laughs> yeah, to say, uh, Randy made a unilateral decision right yeah, there. We're not aware of see that. the look on these dudes' faces. Well, and to be perfectly honest, even if I wasn't worried they about- They filed a $70 million lawsuit, but yet I have the, un- the, the version to post. I'm going to be perfectly honest. Uh, even if we weren't worried about legal ramifications, <laughs> like posting Fred Durst's sex video yeah, on our website, yeah, I would do Hogan's <laughs> first. I mean, yeah, we've got way more lordly tequila. The tequila, you know, it's funny. God, I got the list right in front of me. <laughs> Jesus Christ, look at how many people have a sex tape on here. Yeah, uh, Dustin Diamond Screech had a sex tape. Yes, Tila Tequila had a sex yeah. tape. Courtney Love had a sex tape. Steven Seagal has some that nobody's found yet. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Mike Lindell. Man, yeah. Nancy just, Grace had a sex tape. Jenny no. McCarthy, I think. No, has no, one. Nancy Grace did not. Did have Mama sex June tape. have one? Uh, no, she was. She was. She was uh, paid. She was, was going to be paid. She was right. going to. She, yeah, she was propositioned yeah. by like Brazers or who knows Red yeah. Light District or something like that. Is it Brazers or Brazzers? Is it Brazzers? I don't really yeah, know. I thought it was Brazzers. I thought probably. it was Brazzers too. I was thinking like Brazier Burger, like Dairy Queen. <laughs> <laughs> R. Kelly had a sex tape. Oh, God. Oh, man. He just got put away for like 30. Peace, yeah. homie. Jared Fogle. Yeah, there's a lot. It's, yeah. uh, it's not great. So, but anyways, uh, we didn't put the link on there. And it's even if we weren't worried about legal ramifications, we still wouldn't do that because, you know, we like you guys. <laughs> we actually like you. You may change your mind after this show and all the shit we're saying, but. In July 2003, Limp Biscuit participated on the Summer Sanitarium Tour headlined by Metallica. In the days preceding the tour's stop in Chicago, local radio personality Man Cow Mueller 
mocked Durst and suggested that listeners who were attending the concert should heckle the singer and throw debris. When the crowd chanting, fuck Fred Durst, and pelting the stage with garbage, Durst erupted after six songs, threw the microphone down, and walked off stage. Hey, like he should, man. Fuck that. What year was this? This, 2003. 2003. Is this... I've always... So, all right. I'm always interested in seeing the downfall of bands that go from, like, gigantic, huge, everybody loves them, to being, like, pariahs. And I'm always trying to pinpoint... That moment, that where, moment where, where they it jump turns. the shark. Yeah, basically. where the trajectory changes. Yeah. And I've never heard this before. And I wonder if this wasn't sort of where it was or maybe before. the last tick before you yeah. go down on the roller coaster. By 2003, right? I still feel like they were already sort of being like ignored. But this does feel like a, it's a potential. I don't know. Durst was eventually sued for breach of contract for not completing the show by Chicago lawyer Michael Young in a class action lawsuit. Didn't say how it turned out. In 2006, the singer got arrested and found himself in some pretty serious legal trouble. According to court documents, Durst hit two Los Angeles residents with his car on October 25, 2006. Hmm. Ultimately, Durst pleaded guilty to seven misdemeanors, including assault, battery, and reckless driving. As a result, Durst wound up being sentenced to 120 days in jail, had to pay a $1,500 fine, and perform 20 hours of community service. He must have hit him pretty big, dude. That's, that's almost half a year in jail. Yeah, 120 days. It's yeah, almost a third ha- of a year. It's, yeah, it's yeah. almost it's and 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 he's a huge rich celebrity. You must have fucked something up, dude. Thankfully yeah. for Durst, he got out of his time behind bars ah. as part of his sentence was suspended. <laughs> Based on the fact that Fred Durst was suspended, some people assume his crime wasn't serious. However, that isn't the case as Durst admitted in court that he deliberately rammed his car into a vehicle with two people inside of it. Well, see, and that's the thing. I'm trying to get that famous because I'm really looking forward to running people over <laughs> and not having any consequences. There you are. There it is. I think one of the things that made people dislike Fred Durst is that he was prone to start shit with a lot of other bands. And if you were a fan of that band, you may have been the target of one of Fred's insults. Let's roll through a list of bands that over the years would feud with the band in a segment we're going to call Feuding with Fred. Love it. All right. There was Slipknot. This is how it went. Fred referred to Slipknot fans as a bunch of fat, ugly kids. Slipknot's Corey Taylor responded by a, Threatening Fred's life on stage in New York in 1999. Oh, wow. Fred, you may have a lot of money and be all over the world, but when you talk shit about Slipknot and our fans, we will kill you. When asked about the feud on a TV show, Corey again screamed, we will come there and we will kill you. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Iowa, but man, do you do not want to fuck with the meth heads in Iowa? They, <laughs> they probably will kill you. They mean business. Yeah. And there was Creed. In June 2000, Limp Bizkit performed at the Dysfunctional Family Picnic so the name of the festival, but showed up an hour late for their set. An Interscope spokeswoman stated that there was a confusion over the band's set time. During the band's performance, Durst criticized Creed singer Scott Stapp, calling him an egomaniac. Creed's representatives later presented Durst with an autographed anger management manual during an appearance on Total Request Live. Mm. So, well, a little I, under, it was a little, just a jab a little there. Jab. A little jab. And also... A lot of people said Scott Stapp was a bit of an egomaniac. Yeah. I don't think he's wrong about that. And it wasn't like they were late all the time. This isn't Axl Rose level. I would just agree that maybe they were a little bit late. And didn't Scott Stapp also have a sex tape that was... He did. With, uh, um, oh, who was it? We just did a show on him not too long ago. true. Somebody. Damn it. Papa John's. <laughs> I don't know. He, he has a sex tape. He was getting blown. He said it's good to be king is what it was. But yeah, I, remember, I remember. Yeah, he was partying with somebody. Damn it. Kid guys, Rock. He was with Kid Rock. Kid Rock. Kid Rock. Kid Rock. Yeah, because that's when they were saying it's good to be king. Yeah. 
And then there was the diss with Eminem. Durst fell out with rapper and former friend Eminem regarding the latter's feud with Everlast. This resulted in Eminem creating a diss track against Durst called Girls on his Legendary D- on D12's group 2001 album Devil's Night. Dude, Eminem put a diss track out for him. He put one out for DJ Lethal. Yeah. Uh, he also put one out for Everlast, which was so just mean spirit. It was, <laughs> it was amazing. They said it was actually DJ Lethal that started it. it. It was true. All that's true because there was there was a there was a, a summer around 2002 where Eminem went on a fucking murder spree and he just killed everybody. And uh, that was three of those were great. But then the one he put out for Benzino was uh, just I was like he actually killed Benzino's career. Uh, Benzino was a rapper. Well, he was a guy that owned part of the Source magazine and wanted to get big as a rapper. Oh, he was actually yeah. starting to get some getting some traction. Like he had Lil' Kim on shit or whatever. Yeah. And he said some shit about Eminem being white. And Eminem murdered him <laughs> on a rap track, a diss track that wasn't even released anywhere. You could get it on like Kazaa or whatever it was. And that guy's career was over. <laughs> over. So if you get a chance, go listen to those four diss tracks Eminem put out in his, what I call, Cruel Summer of 2002. <laughs> yeah, he even like, uh, yeah. he even like talks about it in Toy Soldiers, about going toe-to-toe with the Benzino. Oh, he murdered him. Yeah. He murdered everybody. He, that, uh, one line that I remember about uh, Fred Durst was Fred Durst started bleaching his hair. Yeah. And he said, I'm pegging you in the head with a bottle of dye you bleached your hair with. And it was, it's, there's a lot there. It's very enjoyable. That was the that was peak Eminem. Then you had the uh, dispute with Insane Clown Posse, ICP, on October 6, 2018. Eminem also killed them. Yes, yes he did. Uh, October 6, 2018, Shaggy 2 Dope from hip-hop duo Insane Clown Posse attempted to dropkick Fred Durst during a live performance of the song Faith. <laughs> They're a big wrestling fans, so it makes sense. DJ Try. Lethal from Limp Bizkit responded on Instagram Live calling Shaggy a clout chaser. According to 2 Dope, who is a pro wrestler with years of experience, he did not intend to cause Durst any harm, and the motive for the kick stemmed from a dare he had with a security guard that led him on stage after Durst announced, I need some people on stage. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, actually. It's pretty funny. So this one is uh, with Trent Reznor and Marilyn Manson. Probably, <laughs> I don't know, to me this is the funniest one. Trent Reznor, frontman and pretty much everything man for Nine Inch Nails, was noted by Durst as an influence, repeatedly insulted. In a profile for Kerrang, Reznor mocked her, saying, it's one thing if you know your place. Like, hey, I'm an idiot who plays shitty music, but people buy it. Fuck it, I'm having fun. But it's another thing when you think you're David Bowie and you stayed up all night to write a song called Break Stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Fred Durst probably spelt the word break wrong the first couple times. Fred Durst might be a cool guy. I don't know him, but his art in the world's loosest sense sucks. Wow, I love Trent for that. That's awesome. That was hurt on so many levels, and there's no real comeback for that. You know what I mean? Now, what is funny is that I've heard Fred talk like later on where he's like, look, man, I'm not a great rapper. I'm not. I'm a hype man. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just somebody that I know that I can go up there and I can grab the mic and I can get the fucking crowd crunk. Chainsaw. I, can you do that? Can I, you do that? No, I don't think so, but I know I can. I think it's also the sort of the thing where he talked about like how he felt bad because uh, he was uh, in, in, enraging the bullies that beat him up when, they were young, you yep. know, when he was younger. Uh, it's all different when you're on the other side of that coin and <laughs> shit's not looking so great because for a minute there he was like, I 
will go toe-to-toe with Method Man. And I am the greatest fighter alive. I'm going to write a song about fucking you up, son. So, I've yeah, you know. It's like the guy that uh, that gets... Uh, they, this is how people find uh, Jesus in prison. He's always uh, yeah. in there just waiting for him. DMX found him in prison. That's so, right. Yeah. You know. Durst, in turn, made many references to Nine Inch Nails and the Limp Biscuit song Hot Dog, leading to a Reznor earning a co-writer credit. Reznor said there was no issue, jokingly stated, when his record was going to print, Durst realized, fuck, I better ask permission first or I might get sued. I let him do it. I wasn't going to hold his record up, so we let him put it out. Hey, that's pretty cool yeah. by Trent. Fuck okay. it. In 1999, Marilyn Manson insulted Limp Biscuit and their fans, I like this, calling them illiterate apes that beat your ass in high school for being a fag and now sell you tuneless testosterone anthems of misogyny and pretend to be outsiders. Man. I fucking love that, I dude. mean, it's pretty fucking spot oh, on. <laughs> That's what I would call... That would take me a minute to, like, write that. Like, if I had to write a statement yeah. for, like, hey, send me an insult of why you don't like this. Oh, that was... That the, would the, take me a minute to write. To, like, be, to be fair, that also was probably like the equivalent of the freestyle a dude dropped on you <laughs> where he was practicing it in the shower that morning you know what i mean they're like i can't wait to it's a paint by numbers of uh it's a he paints a beautiful picture <laughs> it's it really very does. accurate yeah 100 you know, testosterone anthems and misogyny yeah and that's like that. uh, you know yeah man I, don't, I wasn't one of those guys but i like the music i like the tuneless testosterone anthems I don't know. Some people say we're misogynists <laughs> on this show. I've heard it's right. That's right. We have been called that. I guess it's. We're I don't not. know perspective. Personally, I think women are cool. But uh, yeah, yeah. I thought we thought that too. So Fred Durst responded to Manson and Reznor's insults. I understand that Marilyn Manson is very unhappy that his career has gone into shambles and he's alienated his fans. So if he has things to say like that because he's very mad at himself, I would forgive him. And Trent Reznor's in the same fucking boat. Trent Reznor's obviously unhappy with how he's alienated the world, mm. how long he took to make a record, uh, how he uh, thought he was immortal. We're just here doing what we do. We have nothing to say about anybody. I wish them both luck, and I feel sorry that they're so jealous and mad at themselves that they have to talk shit. Smash cut the Trent Reznor grabbing another Oscar for his fucking <laughs> film soundtracks. Now, Marilyn Manson, he's not wrong about his. He's, uh, he's still around. He's still around. Yeah, yeah but he's not doing anywhere near as he's good. A, he he is going. a shell of a man. He's grazing yeah. in a field. That dude has a very <laughs> horse looking face. Yeah. Yeah, well, that and he has a very cow body now. He's, he, <laughs> we we he, need to do a show on him. I've been kind of. Probably so. Yeah, yeah I've kind of been pushing one. it for a while. Yeah. So. He does look like a pasty man in a glad trash bag these days with yeah. the, the fucking like, weird bull cut. I don't know. It was around 2006 that Limp Biscuit went on hiatus and Durst began to focus on directing. But before the band went on break, they began to look for a new guitarist after Wes Borland left the band. In a story that's stranger than fiction, according to Andrew Bennett's book, Eruption in the Canyon, 212 Days and Nights with the Genius of Eddie Van Halen, the guitar legend had it out with Fred Durst and even pulled a gun on him. Yes, yes you heard that correctly. Right, yeah. According to a bit on Ultimate Classic Rock, the book says that Van Halen was introduced to Durst and Limp Biscuit by a record exec who suggested they jam together following Wes's Borland's departure from the band. Bennett said Durst responded, That would be hilarious. The greatest guitar player ever plays with the world's worst band. <laughs> he was right. Van Halen apparently was so dismayed by the jam session to the point where he called it like being a scholar amongst kindergartners. He gets better. The next day. He went to get his gear from the Beverly Hills house, and, well, Bennett's description can go like this. Eddie once bought an assault vehicle from a military auction, Bennett wrote. 
It has a shine gun mount on the back and is not legal. Eddie drove that assault vehicle through L.A. into Beverly Hills and parked it and left it running on the front lawn of the house Limp Biscuit was rehearsing in. He got out wearing no shirt, his hair tied in a samurai bun on the top of his head, and his jeans held up with a strand of rope and combat boots held together by duct tape. He had a gun in his hand. He said, that asshole answered the door, Bennett said that Van Halen told him of the incident. I put my gun to that stupid fucking red hat of his, and I said, where's my shit, motherfucker? The fucking guy just turned to one of his employees and starts yelling at him to grab my shit. Eddie Van Halen stood on the front lawn of a residential home in Beverly Hills in broad daylight, smoking a cigarette while holding a gun on Fred Durst as he went back and forth from the house to the assault vehicle, lugging amps and guitars. It's hard to say who the bigger asshole is in the whole thing. <laughs> Holy fucking shit. Dude, I, yeah. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Van Halen has a long history of uh, interesting That's like, wild, man. That's, drove, that's extremely wild. like a fucking modified tank. Yeah. And for, like, like Beverly Hills. Hills. He yeah. went full. He he definitely looked in the mirror a few times before he got in his car. You know what I'm saying? He's like, about to show these fuckers. Can you uh, imagine the pep talk before he actually like hit the gas to go? Dude, you know? Eddie Van Halen is a legendary guitarist, amazing guitar player. But there's so many stories uh, of him as well of just kind of being a dick. It's not surprising. I don't know. Again, I don't know who the bigger asshole is in that case. But it's a very cool insane story. story. Yeah. When asked about his time at the top of the music world. Durst said he created a character for his music, but that he always was misunderstood by the public. I always knew the guy in the red cap was not me. I'm Dr. Frankenstein, and that's my creature. Being a breakdancer, a graffiti artist, a tattoo artist, and liking hip-hop was just too much. It was a conscious effort to create Fred Durst, and eventually I had to bring that guy out more than I wanted to. It took on a life of its own. I had to check that into character. The gorilla, the thing, the red guy cap, it's a painful transformation. But I do it because that's what I was taught to do when we got people pulling at you. And that's what I heard him talking about in his interviews where he was like, look, I was just really trying to be a director all this time. And Fred Durst, the red cap guy, was the guy that I kind of the persona I created. Mm -hmm. But he's the one that blew up, you know, and I was still able to direct. But at the same time, he was the one that like just, I mean, went from zero to 100. And I kind of had to foster that. And it just kind of sucked. It could be true, but it also feels a bit like a post hoc rationalization. Yeah, true. You know I mean, where true. you're just like, oh, well, now everybody hates me. So now let me explain why I was the way I was. I don't know what you do. You'll, you'll never know. The only person that's ever going to know is going to be like Fred Durst and maybe the people around him. And he talks about that a little bit. He he kind of uh, he said that he always embraced the hate whenever it was because it was just it, it was just more people like yeah. drawing attention his way. And he talks about it like with the with the white shoes that he used to wear. Yep. Um, they were skater shoes, but all the skaters were like, we don't wear those shoes. Like they, they, they suck the most, but he was like, dude, I got to like run around on stage in those things. They were like the greatest shoes to like perform in. Cause yeah. they, they, they absorbed everything, but all the skaters hated on me because I was like skater, but wearing that shoe that didn't represent that culture. But at the on the flip side, I was like, "Yeah, fucking embrace it," because it's just a bunch of hate coming my way. Yeah, I it's mean, just, it's, you know, I don't fault him. I mean, I think it's tough for any person to come from nothing and get that huge that quick. And it happens with bands all the time yep. where they get so big that there's always a backlash. It happened with My Chemical sure. Romance. It happened obviously with Limp Biscuit. Uh, and you, you every see, band, pretty it, much any know. band that gets really, really big, really, really quick. MC Hammer. MC Hammer. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Vanilla Ice. Like you get you you don't want to get that big that quick. You want to like 
You want to gradually. You want to pull that, that Radiohead thing yeah. where it's like it's it takes you like seven or eight years to get to that top. Top, and then yeah, exactly. but where they're a band like are they still around? And you Google them, and they had like number four best record sales in the world oh, last year. Yeah. You're like, interesting. Okay, carry on, <laughs> carry on, Radiohead. Well, yeah, well, they, and they also they did the things that. That, you, that a lot of bands couldn't do, which is what they were able to like, like Fred Durst probably wanted to do was like what Fred Durst wanted to do, like was get away from that persona. And they were like, Hey, we don't want to be this. We'll change gears. And it worked for him. But uh, uh, a lot of people can't do that. You know what I'm saying? So it's, uh, it's, I don't know. Again, going back to Fred Durst, I don't know that he, maybe he's not the, the character he plays there. I also think that it's just as much a reality or a possibility that it's like a post hoc rationalization that he's like trying to explain away why he's hated. And it's exactly. kind of just like everybody else. I have work Randy and I have home Randy. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? sure. Every, everybody, everybody listening to the show has usually two versions of it. Well, themselves. it's very true. And it's the, everybody has two. like masks and even beyond just work at home and like even just with friends or whatever it is. But it's on that scale where you're at one point in 1999 and 2000, like you're the biggest thing on the planet. No, 100%. And like, yeah. And then all of a sudden, just uh, like, again, a short time later, like this huge couple of years later. Up. Yeah. Like yeah, a, a like blink in the eye, really. It's of like shooting the air up in the sky and it comes out and then you're hated. You're just yeah. absolutely hated. Would you prefer to be like nobody or would you prefer to be like just totally hated? I don't know what it is. I, I, I feel bad for him in a sense or whatever. And they're obviously, there's not, a lot of demand for um, Limp Biscuit to do a tour like there is well, for like My Chemical Romance. But actually, I've been, you know, as I've been looking at some of the, you know, interviews with them, they seem to be like continuously getting booked on like certain things like every year mm -hmm. where it's like not big, massive tours, yeah. but they're still get like Limp Biscuit is still getting booked. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, uh, here in 2022. And stuff well, it was like, like that. back in the day when you had like the Fox 97 uh, oldies tour. Of course, he and Randy went to uh, that. Man, like that back at awesome. the tour. And you have like the headliners, like the Beach, Beach Boys, Boys. And then you yeah. have like, and also. The zombies or whatever you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like you're always gonna find a gig because yeah. somebody loves that Checker album. Is always yeah. gonna, yeah. Come on, baby, <laughs> let's do that twist. Come on, baby, let's do that twist. My man Randy, come and shake and shake me. It goes like this. It's pretty excellent. Love yeah, that. Yeah, twist. Yeah, yeah, now twist. <laughs> now we're gonna we're, we're cutting that into a song. It's gotta happen. My street boo right now. <laughs> Fast forward a little bit. August 2015, Durst stated his interest in obtaining a Russian passport and spending half of the year in Crimea by submitting documents for Russian citizenship after a conversation with President Vladimir Putin. Okay. Wow. He wrote a letter in which he stated that Putin is a great guy with clear moral principles and a nice person. The musician <laughs> planned to organize a business in Crimea related to the production of a television series, which he intended to supply to the international market. Following that, Durst was banned by the security service of Ukraine from entering Ukraine for five years in the interest of guaranteeing the security of the country. Uh, their record sales were also made illegal. I know the timing of this one is quite bad, but try to keep in mind this was seven years ago prior to Putin being probably the most hated man on the planet. Yeah, but they. this is like... He was married to a Russian at the time. Was it prior it's to the caveat. invasion of Crimea? It was 2015. Oh, so it was after that. So, yeah. I, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, nah, that shit wasn't. That's cool pretty wild, though. He met. Yeah, I, I kept waiting for you to drop a joke in there. It was gonna be like some Limp Biscuit album name about. But no, it's that all happened. Crimea yeah. River. 
Yeah, f- yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, no, that's, uh, I like that, buddy. Yeah. yeah, so, but he was married to a Russian lady. They had a kid. That's how he that got the whole Russian connection. Yep. If you think that Putin's a good dude, because of that, man, honestly, fuck your ass, man. I hate you. On a sad note, during the 2018 California wildfires, Durst's house burned down, and he lost a majority of his possessions. His bandmate, Wes Borland, also lost several pieces of equipment in the fire. These were stored in Durst's house fire and were scheduled to record the day after the fire occurred. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. That so sucks. Maybe that's just karma being a bitch trying to go be a Russian citizen and then Mother Nature's like, cool, I'm going to burn your fucking house <laughs> Or maybe down. God's like, not another Limp Bizkit album. <laughs> I gave you a shot. It's over. God, I listened to the 2021 album and it, God, it's horrible. Diarrhea, horrible. diarrhea. There's like a, a, a song called Barnacle. And it's like a. It's this like be the a, name of a dive shitty dive no, bar. Here's a here's, that's restaurant here's in Atlanta. That's what you think, but it like it sounds like it comes from like Nirvana back in '94 or that something. Could be the case too. Also, I was thinking like barnacles are notorious for having like the largest penises of the animal species, <laughs> and I thought maybe they thought that was funny. Yeah. That's that's true. That's true. It's like ratio wise. It'd there be like, no silverback it, gorilla. It would be no. You're a, like hold my uh, fucking jock. Yeah, I'm actually writing an, uh, an entire paper that I'm gonna get published in the Lancet on penis sizes. And uh, the, the, we'll just the, have that in the studio along with the asshole that's chart. That's it. Penis sizes yeah. of general mammals, <laughs> yeah. not even just silverback animals. smallest. A barnacle, Bigfoot, right there next to the silverback. Yeah, the the barnacle is the equivalent of us having like a six foot dick. So check that out. All right. And finally, following the death of real estate tycoon and convicted murderer Robert Durst, many confused the late criminal with the younger Durst, who bears no relation to the disgraced millionaire. The senior Durst became a subject of dark fascination after HBO released The Jinx, a docuseries about the mysterious 1982 disappearance of his first wife, Catherine McCormick Durst. Amazing documentary, too. In a shocking finale, yeah, Durst was caught confessing to murder off camera, but still wearing a microphone. He said, what the hell did I do? Killed well, them all, of course. Don't watch it now. If you haven't <laughs> Spoiler <seen> alert. <laughs> Part of the show. But there was never enough evidence to convict Durst for the suspected murder of his wife. His on-the-record utterance led to his arrest for the slaying of Susan Berman, one of his closest friends and confidants. Berman was found dead, shot execution style at her home on Christmas Eve in 2000. On September 21st, 2021, a jury found Durst guilty of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison with no option for parole. Months later, after news broke that Durst died in prison on January 10th, 2022, Limp Biscuit began trending, a darkly humorous tryst to the end of a totally unfunny story. The Twitter activity after that was quite funny, leading to Fred having a custom hoodie made reading, Not Robert. And that, boys, is Fred Durst. Okay. All right. Fascinating. Yeah. All right. So let's get some final scores on the red-capped rapper, buddy. All right, so um, yeah, there's um, that, that was a great story. I do uh, enjoy hearing about Fred Durst and uh, his rise to fame, and uh, you know the the hate that came after it. You know, as he started to slide down, um, you know, I I didn't hear too much in here that really made me think this guy was an asshole. At the end of the day, I think that you know he was just this guy that you know wanted to be a director, put together a band. He was a good hype man, and uh, kind of just used what he had and you know really i think that the whole stardom of limp biscuit really just comes back to faith i really think at the end of the day mm-hmm. like faith was that one song that they were like look we go up there and we sing our shit and we get booed 
you know, if we do this one cover, like people actually kind of like it, you know, and that'll kind of like throw them off a little bit. And that's what fucking took off. Like that's when, when that hit, that's when they got on Ozfest. <clears throat> that's how they got that gig. When they got onto MTV and that, that video dropped, like it just, I mean, it, it ignited like fire. It, it, it threw them onto the map. So it was just kind of like this right place, right time, you know, and that's just how some things are every once in a while. And, you know, he just had a great idea. It actually happened to fucking take off. And I think he was just along for the ride. I don't really see anything that in his character that really seems malicious. Um, you know, there was a little bit of show negligence that you kind of catch a little bit here and there, um, you know, from him. But, I, you know, just overall, I didn't really see anything that really made me seem like he was a real big asshole, uh, you know, at the end of the day. So where I originally had him at a 5.5, I think I've got to backpedal him just a little bit. I think I'm going to throw him where uh, Randy had him at the beginning of the show. So for me, at the end of the day, I think Fred Durst is going to be a 5.0 as the final asshole score for me. All right, okay. 5.0 for Buddy. Mikey, final thoughts. Okay. Uh, I talked about it a couple times, like I said, with his rationalization after the fact of why he was like, well, I didn't really want to be like this, and I and I don't buy it. I think yeah, that sure. he doesn't buy it, folks. I don't buy it. I think that he, if 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 they continue to be huge, he would have just kept doing the same shit. I think it was after the fact that he was like there was a sort of level of contrition that was like necessary to sort of like you know ingratiate himself and be like no 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 I'm really not a bad guy. It's not like that. Like I really wanted to like chill. I don't blame them for Woodstock '99. Uh, there's yeah, no. uh, but I do like I said Woodstock '99 is, is is one particular instance. There are multiple other instances that we talked about, which actually ended up with uh, people losing their lives, which sucks. Um, and you should know, you should watch the crowd as as an observer. Like I said, there's plenty of uh, instances where people got this right and they could calm things down and, and save people's lives or uh, prevent injury. Didn't seem to care. I think he was sort of self absorbed. I, I, his uh, shit with Putin being a good guy, that's crazy yeah. as fuck to me. Yeah, that that's, shit is that's crazy. fucking complete. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, like I said, I, I would even give somebody a pass if this was like pre 2015. Uh, yeah, the pre Crimean invasion, I'd be like, okay, well, I mean, maybe you don't really know what's going on and it's fine, but this is like post Crimea where you're like, you, they just invaded a fucking country. There's all sorts of shit going on uh, in Eastern Ukraine there. It's, it's, it's the writings it's, on the wall. Yeah. It's not fucking cool. And then yeah. trying to be like, Oh, Hey, I want to like, it's he, all the, the shittiest people go there and try to suck Putin's dick, uh, including Steven Seagal. <laughs> That's right. Um, so that tells me what I need to know about that. So I'm going to put him at a 5.95. Okay. Uh, because, um, you know, I, I think that those two things alone are what it is. I don't blame him for, you know, sort of like riding this wave of some weird, you know, thing in the late nineties or yeah, with Lent Biscuit. I don't have any problem with Lent Biscuit. I don't like their music. I don't, I won't listen to it unless we do a show like this. In fact, I didn't listen to it before this show. <laughs> you guys both did. And I didn't, it never even actually registered. I was like, Oh, I forgot that was an option. Me and, and then, Randy came in like singing yeah. songs and Mikey's yeah. like, Oh, I think yeah. I remember that. But song. I will say, like I said, I do remember how popular it was. And oh, anybody brother. wants, anybody wants to say, Oh, there was another one I forgot too, was, uh, another band that was that, that blew up and then became hated, which was, uh, Lincoln park. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. no, yeah. no, no, no. Don't even start going down this road. No, I'm not. But I'm saying you know how I feel about Lincoln. Park. I know. But I'm saying it was another band that blew up way too big, way too fast and became hated or whatever. Um, so anyways, yeah, that's it. Five point nine five for Fred. Uh, Fred. What was his name? Fred Wayne. 
Fred, uh, Fred Maine. Maine. Fred Maine. The Fred third. Gucci Maine. Gucci Maine. That's right. All right. So I echo the sentiments of both of you gentlemen. I think my my big thing is you kind of wish sometimes you could have your favorite bands figure out a way to keep it going. Right. One of the bands that has actually been pretty successful in doing this is 311. I mean, now obviously they're way past prime. But if you remember back in the day, they came out. You know, you had grassroots, and it was jam. And then they had three eleven, three eleven, where they music, and then three eleven, three eleven. Well, yeah, they just really, really took off. Yeah, and instead, and they could have been that same template, right? Like three or four years in the prime, and then just kind of faded. But then they busted out Transistor, and it sounded completely different. They shifted gears, right? Sure, and went down kind of a different uh, path. And you kind of wish other bands would take that lesson. And figure out different ways to to do their shit. It's tough to do though. It's very oh, it tough. Is. You know, as the you artist, actually be good at playing music. Well, that and also, you if you have a built-in fan base, it's very tough because like people expect. I'll be honest. So, for instance, like massive Radiohead fan. Uh, I loved OK Computer. I loved the Benz. When Kid A dropped, I was like, it "Fuck, was, what is weird. this, man?" It yeah, was weird. And, and, and I literally it didn't really register with me until a couple of years later. And then when they they did Hail to the Thief, and I was like, cool, they're going back. But it took a minute, and it was very tough. They were Most people that try to do that hard shift, that fan base is built in. is like, no, 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 I want the, like, not the same I want, exact, but, but I, I want expect, that type. Yeah. They expect something. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard as an artist when you want to pivot yep. and follow your heart, but, like, you, you've, you're kind of, like, already on this path, yeah. you know? Yep. So. so, yeah, I think, you know, I had a pretty, I had the lowest pre-show score to five. Um, I'm going to take him up just a tad. I'm going to have him at a 5.35 okay. as my final asshole score. I like it. All right. With a 5.0 from Buddy, a 5.95 from Mikey, and a 5.35 from Randy, Fred Durst's final asshole score is a 5.43. All right. 5.43 puts him a tick above DMX and Elon Musk at a 5.3 and just below Courtney Love at a 5.5. Uh, in the company of fellow musicians. There you go. DMX, Fred Durst, and Courtney Love. And it's funny, I watched a video of uh, MTV party at the Playboy Mansion oh, yeah. with Durst recording it. Oh, yeah. And he was walking around and kind of talking to everybody, and he sat there and talked with Courtney Love. So, oh, funny enough. Yeah. Awesome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. Check it out. We love to interact with you on all of our social media platforms. Uh, go on to any of your favorites. Check us out. Engage with us. Give us a shout out, a like. We love the comments. We'll shout right back at you. Um, love to hear what you have to say. And as you always know, we're going to tell you to go to Patreon. Get all the good shit there. You get Conspiracy Court. You're going to get stickers and swag. It's all the things that everybody wants. Until next time, treat each other well. And we'll see you next time on Asshole Court.